Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, the 10th of September. In a moment, we're going to brief you on the growing opposition to Victoria's pathway out of lockdown. The contact tracing has been, in my view, a complete disaster. It was just people right out on the fringe protesting and complaining about Victoria's lockdown, but more and more sensible and medically trained people are raising concerns. We'll get to that in a moment. First, Jan Fran is here to talk us through the big stories of the day. Yes, good morning, Tom. Aussie experts are assuring us that one of the world's most promising coronavirus vaccine trials being paused is not necessarily a serious problem. Yesterday, we learned that Oxford University has stopped its research, which is in the third and final phase, after a participant had a suspected adverse reaction. Yeah, but the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr Nick Coatesworth, says that this kind of thing is relatively normal. Uh, Whilst we are in an unusual situation with COVID-19 being a new pandemic virus, the fact that a vaccine trial may pause um, because of an adverse event is not a new thing at all. So these phase three trials involve, in this case, 20,000 people. And if someone in that massive sample gets ill, they have to look into it and basically see if it's anything to do with the vaccine they've taken. But it could be anything. There could be something else going on in that person's life or or there could be many reasons for that to happen. So that's why they pause the trial and look into it. So we'll wait and see what they actually say. In the meantime, the Australian Catholic University bioethicist uh, Xavier Simmons says that slim hopes of a jab by the end of the year have gotten even slimmer because of this. We should just be very circumspect about the likelihood of having a vaccine by the end of the year. I I mean, it's possible, but I don't think we should be surprised at events like this, that there are some setbacks. I think this is just part and parcel of the trials process, and so we need to be realistic. Yeah, I guess this is the wake-up call. These trials normally take a long time for reasons exactly like this. Yeah, I mean, I think there is obviously um, a bit of a rush for us to get the coronavirus vaccine because there is so much at stake. And there are 160 trials happening around the world right now. It's just slightly bad timing because earlier this week, the PM announced with much optimism that Mm. we had signed a $1.7 billion deal with AstraZeneca. That, of course, does hinge on the Oxford University vaccine being successful. So to have this happen, it's the gamut of emotions, but you know, we'll run it and I think we'll be okay. And you've got to feel for Donald Trump, who was hoping that this would be ready by the November US election as well. well I don't feel too badly for him, to be honest. <laughs> All right, another day, another border brawl between New South Wales and Queensland, and this time Tom Hanks is being caught up in it. Yes, you might remember uh, that back in March, Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, they both contracted COVID while filming a movie in Queensland and then flew back to the US. Well, Tom Hanks is back in the state and he has been allowed to quarantine at a private residence on the Gold Coast as part of the entertainment industry's approved COVID safe plan. Plan that has been approved just like there is for the resources industry, just like there is for the agricultural industry. And, Mr Speaker, under that plan, they have to stay in the place for two weeks, just like everybody else. That was the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk. A lot of people are wondering what the plan is for a Brisbane dad who's dying of cancer and has been told that only one of his four kids can travel from New South Wales to say goodbye to him. That is such a sad story, and I can't even imagine what would be going through that man's mind having to decide which child to fly up. Uh, Yesterday, both the New South Wales Premier and the Health Minister criticised Queensland's policy. Brad Hazard here described the rules as loopy. I can only express my supreme anger at the Queensland Premier's decision 
which in my view, broadly across the border currently, is nothing more than base, loopy politics. I'm appalled by what's going on up there. Yes, and here's what the Premier Gladys Berejiklian from New South Wales had to say. If we had case numbers that were out of control, that we weren't managing, I could understand that. But New South Wales hasn't been in that situation. I just don't understand this position. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, I think New South Wales leadership there is is making a good point. Um, But I think Anastasia Palaszczuk knows that there is an election coming up and that she's very popular, um, given how she's handled the coronavirus pandemic with her state. Um, And I think she sort of just wants to doesn't want any sudden movements before the election. Unless you're Tom Hanks, unless you're an AFL player sitting by the pool. Um, They have made some changes around those border communities. Um, You'd have to wonder around cases like this family going through a a cancer tragedy where they can make more changes. Staying in Queensland and an iconic Gold Coast surf break will reopen today as an investigation into a fatal shark attack continues. Yeah, this is probably the second most famous surf break in Australia after Bells Beach. Um, Snapper Rocks is a, a massive right-hand break, which also has shark nets. This is the first fatality at this beach and the second at a shark control program beach since the program's been in operation since 1962. That is the Queensland Fisheries Minister, Mark Ferner, uh, defending the state's shark control program. Yeah, and although experts believe it was a great white who was responsible for Nick Slater's death, they're analysing a tooth lodged in the surfboard uh, after a tiger shark was captured by shark nets. Here's the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, talking about that in Parliament yesterday. Further investigations will be conducted to discover if there is any link between it and the fatal attack off the beach late yesterday afternoon. And the question around sharks is not just a question for Queensland. Um, This year, across the country, six people have died in shark attacks. Yeah, it's a shocking number. Yesterday, we told you about a graphic video which had gone viral, mainly on TikTok. Um, Initially, it was on Facebook. Um, Now, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has delivered a strong message to social media companies about this kind of content. He delivered that via his Facebook page. Your products are changing the world, but with that comes a great responsibility and you need to be accountable and you need to be responsible for making sure that your product does not harm Australians and my government will be making sure that we do everything to hold you account for that. A close friend of the American man who is seen taking his own life in that video says that he believes putting pressure on social media giants like this is the only way to make change. Um, The man also claims that he reported the original video to Facebook uh, as it was being live streamed and was initially told that it didn't go against community standards. Yeah, I think a lot of people would argue that putting pressure on social media giants sometimes doesn't do anything. Um, We'll have to see how they respond to this. Uh, We got a statement from TikTok which says that it's been removing the clips and banning accounts which repeatedly tried to upload it. And if this story has brought up any issues for you, get in touch with Lifeline on 13 11 14. All right, thanks for that, Jam. We'll catch you tomorrow. Annika's jumping back into the studio to talk about Victoria's pathway out of lockdown. Okay, now to today's briefing topic. Is the anger at Victoria's lockdown starting to go mainstream? Is this the future you want for us? We're locked up, and it's all because of Dan Andrews' incompetency. At Saturday's anti-lockdown protest in Melbourne, there was only a few hundred people. Yeah, and a number of them were holding up the conspiracy theory signs. 
not even accepting the scientific reality that we're facing a pandemic. But since Sunday's pathway out of the lockdown was announced from the Victorian Premier... You can't run out of lockdown. More people, people who do accept the science, are losing faith in that government's approach. We were looking for nuance and sophistication yesterday and hope, you know, I wanted to see a plan that said Victoria can live with this virus better than any state in the world. Instead, we got more barbaric lockdowns. This is Luke Darcy on Triple M Breakfast Melbourne, echoing what a lot of people are thinking. I must admit, I'm astounded to hear you say that there is no other way and no other evidence. You've had a letter written by 500 medical experts in this town. Get some of these medical people around the table because they are telling you, Premier, very clearly, you can do this better. You can do this more humanely. You can open up and uh, they're not buying that you didn't have other choices. Now, it wasn't just radio hosts like Luke Darcy questioning the Premier. Since the pathway was revealed on Sunday... Several epidemiologists have come out. You heard about the 500 doctors there as well. The Prime Minister's being critical, as well as the former Chief Medical Officer, Brendan Murphy. This does seem a very conservative approach. Some of the triggers seem five cases rather than 10, no cases rather than a few. Since Sunday's announcement, Victoria has conceded its contact tracing wasn't up to scratch and health officials will now head to Sydney to learn better techniques. We've also learnt that the Victorian Chief Health Officer wasn't the one who recommended the curfew. And some epidemiologists claim there are gaps in the modelling, where we haven't looked at easing some restrictions and keeping others. Katie Allen is a medical researcher and epidemiologist, but she's also a federal Liberal MP representing some of Melbourne's most iconic eating and shopping precincts, including Chapel Street. Katie, thanks for joining us. Did you sense people in Melbourne were on board when this roadmap was revealed on Sunday? Look, I think the the, the feeling I'm getting is a massive um, change in view about what we're doing now in Victoria. I think what's been thought is we're all in this together. Yes, exactly. Hit the head hard and then we're going to come out of this quickly. What we're seeing is that the, the, the head wasn't hit hard because quarantining was such a failure. And so there's sort of more and more draconian measures that are being applied, which is causing this tale to be incredibly long. Um, and more than that, instead of saying, well, you know, we'll get to a point and then we'll start to really open up, Daniel Andrews has said, no, 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 we're going to go even harder and even longer. So he's kind of missed the opportunity to get this under control early. And so he's sort of hitting it later, which is all wrong. So I feel quite strongly um, that people in Higgins anyway are really quite worried about these sort of draconian measures that are going to sort of stretch out into the future. You're a medical expert and you have a bit more of an understanding of, say, the modelling that came out on, on Sunday. Do you think it needs to take in to, you know, factors like the stress, the loneliness people are feeling, the long-term health impacts of those things, not just the virus? Yes, I've always been of that view. And I argue, let's open up the schools in Victoria, let's open up the economy. People say, why are you doing that? Aren't you a health expert? And I said, because I know that there's not only direct COVID effects, there's also indirect COVID effects. And those indirect COVID effects aren't just economic effects, they're mental health effects as well. So um, I think looking at the evidence, um, it's pretty clear that we know how to control this pandemic now. We've got that all sort of sorted. And if you get the quarantining right, you get the cases under control. And most importantly, you have the tracking and tracing right. If you have that digitalised, automated, you have a crack team, um, and then you choose things that are the high 
high value things to limit. Try to be targeted in what we tell the public because the public will keep coming with us on the journey. We need to be very directed about what we tell people so that all of us can enjoy more freedoms as a result. I was going to ask about that. The current restrictions, they ban gathering, uh, we have to have face masks, there's a curfew, hotel quarantine. Which ones do you think are the most important to keep in place long term and which ones do you think could perhaps be eased quicker? Well, I think if you look early in in our response, we got it right and it's worked for seven of the eight states and territories, and that is quarantining is absolutely the number one border defence side of things. So, you know, not letting the COVID in from where it's raging around the world. We do have to remember, even though there's been, you know, a terrible outbreak in Victoria, it's nothing compared to the rest of the world. We continue, even with the terrible community transmission and outbreak in Victoria, not only to have the lowest fatality, or one of, it's hard to be exact about this, but one of the lowest fatalities cases in the world. We also have one of the lowest fatality case rates amongst those in aged care in the world. So we're doing extremely well. But the most important thing is the preventing it from coming into Australia. Katie, what do you make of Victoria's record on contact tracing? Um, We've heard the argument that it's been good and the main problem has just been the size of the caseload. But now this week, we've seen that they're actually moving to decentralise the contract tracing team, set up five suburban hubs, which is what they have been doing in New South Wales, um, that they'll further digitalise the process and that they're sending a team to go and see what New South Wales is doing. So has Victoria's contract tracing been subpar? Look, I want to be very supportive of the Premier Andrews because he's doing his darndest to do a great job. And I know he's out there caring for Victorians and he really wants to get it right. But I have been saying publicly from June the 24th that we have significant problems with tracking and tracing. The contact tracing has been, in my view, a complete disaster. June the 24th, we said we've got 1,000 ADF standing by ready. Could you take them now? Finally, weeks later, he's accepted the help. So he didn't have enough staff. Uh, It wasn't a decentralised model like New South Wales. It was a manual model. So he's using paper, not digitalisation. He hasn't used the COVID Safe Act very effectively. It's not the only answer. It's just one of the tools at his disposal. And he didn't um, get on the front foot early enough. So my view, uh, it's all been too little too late, which is why we've had these um, draconian measures late in the tail of the epidemic rather than early in this second wave. That was Katie Allen, Federal Liberal MP and epidemiologist. Let's go to another Victorian disease expert, and this one has no political skin in the game. Professor Catherine Bennett is from Deakin Uni. Catherine, you've raised concerns that the Victorian government have only modelled what would happen if they completely remove restrictions or keep them in place, not a midway scenario where they wind back some of the lockdown measures. Can you explain your concern there? Well, modelling, I think, really comes into its own when you use it to scenario test. So, you know, the numbers themselves are always, you know, predictions, they always have a lot of uncertainty. The more precise your parameters in your model are, the better fitting your assumptions are. All of that gives you a more precise understanding of where you might go in the future. But the real value is in the relative comparison. So, if you're modelling a road out, there are probably a number of obvious scenarios you might look at. Opening up might be one of them. Your most strict restrictions might be another. But actually looking at something like a step down would be at least a third option. And these models have been set up in a way that was actually testing government's policy previously by this same group of modellers. So they do have, they've already done the work to kind of put a package together that um, simulates stage three. You know, I don't think anyone was expecting us to open up 
I think we all know we need restriction. And the question is how much restriction you need to map your way out safely. So do you know for a fact that they didn't model what a stage three step back restriction would look like? We, we haven't really been given information on the specific questions asked, but that's certainly what's been presented to us is only stay with stage four or opening up. We don't even know actually what they've modelled into opening up. Did that include masks? We don't know. But the question was put to the Chief Health Officer on Monday about the alternatives, including stage three as possibly another safe road out. And, and his response to that, how stage three would work in the current circumstances, was that, um, that it was uncertain or unclear. And that sounds like someone who hasn't asked or been given the, the opportunity to look at the modelling around that. Wow. At the start of this, we had people that were questioning the lockdown and they were sort of seen as maybe fringe dwellers. But increasingly, we're seeing epidemiologists and medical experts, politicians, question what Victoria is doing, yet they continue to take this approach. So why do you think they're so steadfast in sticking to this plan? I think a lot of this is, you know, there is no doubt that this is a virus that scares people, you know, and it, and it does surprise people still. But I do think the one advantage we have in having the second wave is that we've got amazing data but I'm not sure we're learning as much as we can from the data. I think the health department, when they talk about their understanding of the virus, it's all linked to the big outbreaks that we know and those linked cases. But the story is really in the overall picture of risk to different parts of the community. And the more you get on top of that, the more you understand the virus, the more nuanced you can be in your response. And I think we're still at that very big blanket approach, which is just doesn't take advantage of the information we might have that could allow us to be more focused. But also, it's built on a fear of the unknown in a way. Professor Catherine Bennett, epidemiologist from Deakin Uni. Annika, it seems like the pressure's mounting on the Victorian government over this pathway. Do you think they'll make any changes? Look, it's a really hard approach for the government to take because they want to have a strong public health message. And the moment you start to tinker with that, it does appear to undermine it. But I think also there's a risk in not acknowledging what people are feeling. And if you've got leading medical experts coming out and starting to raise concerns about this, I think the government will have to at least acknowledge some issues and really address those modelling worries. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, the class of 2020. What a bizarre year to be in year 12. But could it be easier to get into university? That's tomorrow on The Briefing. Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.